who is watching the Olympics? Everybody knows the Olympics is going on right now. Who enjoys watching the Olympics? Raise your hand at me. Cool deal. Uh, Olympics for me is is always fun, is always exciting. Uh, who Just shout out your favorite sport. Who likes watching something that, that you sit up and you spend the time to watch it? Come on, throw something. Football, gymnastics. What? Surfing. Surfing. They have... Yeah, that, that's definitely a Pastor JJ answer. Um, man, the Olympics is so interesting because they not only have like the sports that are obvious, they have gymnastics is obviously a big one. Swimming is a big deal. Uh, the running is always on TV, famous stuff like that. But then they have these weird sports that is like, I didn't even know that was a sport. I didn't even know that this was a competition. One is... I. I I know this from a while back because oddly enough, I used to watch this like on Sunday afternoons when you're trying to take a nap, right? But there's, there's walking competitions. Did you guys know that walking was an Olympic sport? I, I think that I could compete in that until you hear that they are walking 20 kilometers, which translation, what is 20 kilometers to miles? 15 miles so an olympic it sounds nice right olympic walking until you realize you got to walk 15 miles so that's pretty wild um anybody sit up really late to watch certain sports that you enjoy because obviously the olympics are in tokyo which is i don't know 11 10 hours different something crazy so uh they're happening at different times but i've always enjoyed watching the olympics and uh did you guys see the um the woman that was from the Philippines that won the first gold medal for the country ever. I have her picture here if you want to throw that up. To me, this is just a cool story. I'm just sharing it because I like it. But her name is, uh, I think it's Hildia or something like that, Hildia Diaz. And uh, just, just to put in perspective what you're seeing in the picture on the left there, she is about a 120 pound woman. And to win the gold medal, not only did she set an Olympic record, but she won the first gold medal, and she is lifting uh, almost 280 pounds above her head like that. It's just mind-blowing to me to think about the fact. And just, man, just a quick snippet of her story. So she first went to the Olympics as a 17-year-old in 2008, right? She placed second to last in the entire, in the entire group of weightlifting. Then she went back four years later in 2012, and she didn't finish at all. She just it literally on her scorecard, it says, did not finish. She didn't complete the second round of weightliftings. Then she went back in, uh, in 2016, and she won silver medal. And then she kept on working and went back this year. And she won not only her first gold medal, not only an Olympic record, but the first gold medal for the entire country of the Philippines. That's, that's pretty cool. I love that story. Um, and, man, just I, I like watching the Olympics because it's all of these humans that – when you, it's, it's almost like they're just superhumans because they're so good at one thing. Like watching Michael Phelps for the last, you know, several years, he's been like at the top of the game. He's not there this year, but watching that dude swim is like watching a submarine. Like it's a, it's crazy to think that this is a human doing this. Or uh, one, one that was just amazing to me, it, I, I just watched it in the Olympic trials a couple of months ago, but there was a woman in the hammer, hammer throw, where it's just like that ball and chain that they swing and throw. And she threw a nine-pound ball almost 300 feet, like a football field. That's just, it's absolutely crazy for me to think about. Or um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the, the runner that's really famous, uh, Usain Bolt. That dude runs his top speed. Doesn't, he doesn't keep this consistently, but he has hit a top speed of about 28 miles per hour. Isn't that crazy to think about? So anyway, I, I like the Olympics. It's fun to see people perform at their, their peak performance, their absolute best, and just to see what people, people are capable of. Um, and really, that's, that's what the Olympics are all about. It's about people doing their absolute best. And I, I think in general, humans are drawn to, sorry, humans are drawn to seeing other people accomplish things that they're great at. Right. I mean, we have we have TV shows dedicated to it. It's not just the Olympics like this. This stuff is constantly going on. We have singing competitions. You know, there's there's always sports on TV. There's always things uh, that we want to find out who's the best. We want to find out who's the greatest. Um, And I think that humans in general tend to be competitive in nature. Anybody in here competitive? 
Anybody here get ugly when you're playing Monopoly? Yeah? Um, I, I've been a part of some, some uh, Monopoly competitions where it, uh, it, it gets ugly playing any kind of game in our house. We're, we're definitely competitive. There's things that we can't play anymore. I personally went through, there was, about, there was about three or four months of my life when I was in college that I had to give up ping pong. I just, I quit it cold turkey. It was just, I, I was getting too competitive and I would literally get angry whenever I would lose. And it's just like, I had to shut it down for a little while and be like, okay, it's just a game. But I think we do that. If there's anything good natured or fun or uh, exciting that, that people are a part of, humans are going to turn it into a competition, right? We're going to find a way to find out who's the best. And there's nothing wrong with friendly competition. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, a little bit of sport, a little bit of play. I think that's one of the healthiest things that you can do, right? I, you think about surfing. I don't even know how you would compete in surfing. I guess they have scoring and points and things like that. But to me, I've always seen something as surfing that's just relaxing. You go out, you know, and you surf. But, hey, they turned it into a sport, and now people are competing against it, right? But that's what we do. We're humans. We compete. We find out who's the best. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, we, we do have the tendency to maybe take things too far. Have you ever been a, at a t-ball game where things get out of hand? Anybody hiding their eyes because you've been that person, right? I mean, as humans, if we can take a t-ball game with two and three-year-olds that don't even know which direction to run to the bases, and we can turn that into a competition and take it too far, we can do it with anything, right? Um, you know, and however, as the saying goes, too much of a good thing is a bad thing, right? And I think that, that we have, uh, we also, in addition to just taking things that should be competition too far, we also, as a bad habit, as humans, have the tendency to turn things into a competition that shouldn't be a competition. You ever seen that happen before? Maybe competition of how big or how nice your house is compared to the person next to you or uh, how much you have in your retirement account or do I look better than that person or this person or, or am I more beautiful do I have more likes on my post uh, is, is our family happier than theirs right we turn that into a competition and often these things are silent competitions it's not like it's outright like the Olympics like people are getting gold medals for having the biggest house right <laughs> Like, but at the same time, we still silently compete in these things, don't we? We turn them into a competition, and they never should have been. Sometimes we even, you know, turn our faith into a competition. Does, does God love me as much as that person? Did he answer my prayer as fast as he answered theirs? Um, you know, and we, we as, a, as humans have this bad tendency of leaning too heavily in that direction of, of number one, competing in things that we never should compete in, but then also turning healthy competition into something that we're taking too far. And all of these are just examples of, uh, of things that we do without realizing it. And this competition, especially in the things that should not be a competition, it is all that, that act of, of keeping up with the Joneses, right? And it's not always about finances. We, we try to keep up with the Joneses with our happiness, right? We try to keep up with the Joneses with our relationship with God, with our title at our job. We do this with our kids and, you know, how smart are my kids or are my kids the one getting the, the starting position on the team? You know, we, we fall into this trap of, of keeping up, of competing, of comparing, and, and that's all something that God never intended for us to do. It was never intended to be a, a competition, and oftentimes in these things, we can, we can impress people, right? We can impress people with all of the things that I just mentioned, the size of your house, your bank account, how, you know, um, you know, what you do at work. It's possible to impress people with these things. But oftentimes I think that the things that we're competing in, we may be impressing people, but I don't think God cares that much. And I don't think he's impressed by what we're putting out there. Let's, I just want to take a quick look at what God has to say about our efforts to impress. I'm going to throw John 15, 1 through 5 up on the screen. And it says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. 
And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it bears more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither you can unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire where they are burned. It's a little bit sobering, right? Jesus saying to you, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I don't think that Jesus literally means in one sense that apart from him, you can do nothing. Because obviously, there's people out there that are apart from him that are doing stuff. Right, We're working, we're making things happen, we're living and breathing every day. So in one sense, I don't think that God means that you can literally do nothing apart from him. I just think that he means that you can't accomplish anything that matters if you're not abiding in him. You can't accomplish anything that he cares about or that he's happy about or excited about if you're not abiding in him. You can still do things, they'll just be for nothing. But also, in a very real sense... I think that Jesus would also remind us that if God doesn't give us our next breath, who are we to say anything about it, right? God is the one that, that holds the key to life. And so on, on the one hand, yes, you are able to accomplish things with the breath that you have in your lungs and the life that you've been given that, that God may not be impressed with. But also in a very real sense, you know, the Bible is clear that our next moment is not promised. And so, you know, just taking into account the fact that Jesus and abiding in him is the one thing that matters. So let's take a look at another scripture about our works and what we can produce in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, or hay, or straw, sounds like the three little pigs. I just thought of that. Each one will become each one's work will become evident for the day will show for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work which he has built remains, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer the loss, but he himself will be saved yet as only through fire. So there's going to come a day where God's going to test the things that we have produced in this life by fire. And the things that we accomplished outside of abiding in him will just basically be turned to dust. And we will only be left with the things that we produced by abiding in him. That's what he has to say about our works. So these scriptures are clear that our earthly efforts and striving, if not founded in Jesus Christ, will not stand the test of time. I'm convinced that living a life separated from the Christ vine can only result in striving, disappointment, and failed expectations. And this is not God's desire or destiny for you. That's not what he wants. The the word strive means to make great efforts to achieve or obtain something, to struggle or to fight vigorously. I'm here to warn you today that if you spend any time striving instead of abiding in Christ, you're wasting your time. Not only that, but striving is bound to wear you out. You will get tired striving. You can do it. I've seen people do it for a lifetime, but I've also seen them seen that life wear them out. And here's the tricky thing that a lot of people may realize, but they don't focus on and reconcile with is that it is impossible to abide in Christ and strive at the same time these two are in opposition to each other if you are striving to impress or to please or to do things outside of abiding in Christ you cannot abide in Christ at the same time it's impossible to strive towards impressing someone by the the size of your house and also abide in Christ and trust him to provide for you and your finances and your well-being you can't do those two at the same time they're always in oppositions to each other and you will always be doing either one or the other they can't coexist so today I just want to take 
the next little while and zoom out a little bit and look at three things that that we strive in whenever we're not abiding in Christ. Three specific areas that we strive in when we're not abiding in Christ. The first one is when we aren't abiding in Christ, we will strive to please man. And we've already talked about this one a little bit. Has anybody in here ever felt the pressure to perform in order to gain someone's approval? See some hands, maybe, maybe approval from your boss. Maybe you're fighting for a promotion. Maybe you're fighting for a raise. And so you are striving to gain approval of that, that, that boss, that coworker, that, that person that kind of has some, some say in that. Maybe you strive to gain approval from a desired group of peers. You see this, this collective group of people and you're like, man, I want to be a part of that group. So you, you try to dress like them, you try to talk like them, you try to act like them, you speak the lingo, right? Striving to approve, to gain approval from from that group of people. Maybe, maybe you have strived to gain approval from your parents. Maybe you have been a part of that relationship where even that relationship with your parents was something that was hung over you, like you had to work to gain approval. And that's not something that God desires for us, that we would have to strive in those things. Maybe you are striving to gain approval from a romantic interest young old maybe maybe you know you're you're you know trying to to woo someone right trying to i don't even know if that they anybody use that word anymore <laughs> woo someone i know it's in the dictionary <laughs> but we always uh you know there there's always that temptation to strive to gain approval of of that romantic interest right maybe you've even found yourself striving to gain the approval of your spouse right we're gonna pray for you bro that's funny you know it's, it's not one of those things that's automatic and oftentimes even in these relationships that god has set up and set in place we still are trying to do these things in our own strength outside of abiding in christ and remember what i said right before we talked about this point that any amount of striving will only lead to this disappointment and failed expectations when we're striving in our own strength it's because we are trying to achieve a certain result and when that result doesn't happen or whenever it you know it's it's specifically rejected we're broken because we are striving to please man it's impossible at the same time to have an attitude of humility and dependence and obedience towards Christ and also be consumed with pleasing humans, pleasing people at the same time. Again, these two can't coexist. One of the, big, the biggest examples that we have in the Bible of this is Jesus and the way that he dealt with the Pharisees and their desire to impress people. Matthew chapter 6, it says this, It says, be careful when you do good things. Don't do them in front of people to be seen by them. If you do that, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to the poor, don't be like the hypocrites. They blow trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets so that people see them and honor them. I tell you the truth, those hypocrites already have their full reward. So when you give to the poor, don't let anyone know that you are doing it. Your giving should be done in secret. Your father can see what is done in secret, and he will reward you. Secret. Do it in secret. Do it for God. Don't do it for man. When you strive to gain man approval, even if you get it, that will be your only reward. That's a little disappointing and disheartening right that when you're striving to impress people them being impressed is the only reward that you get for it that's sad and then even if the end result is not inherently bad or sinful right so going back to you know having a a full retirement account or getting a promotion at work or or you know building a new house those things in and of themselves are not inherently bad or sinful. It's only whenever we do them outside of abiding in Christ, outside of him directing us to do those things, that they're all for nothing. You see, for God, the end never justifies the means. God is concerned about the means that you are taking to gain the end, 
He cares about that. The world, the world doesn't. The world only cares about the end result. They don't care what steps you take to get there. They just want to see what your, your results are. Even if the motive of your heart, if the motive of your heart is not obeying Christ, then you are striving for the wrong things and you are wasting your time. I want to look at one more uh, warning Jesus had for the Pharisees and the religious leaders in uh, Matthew chapter 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are only full of hypocrisy and wickedness. How many times have you polished yourself up to look your best and sound your best and put your best foot forward just to miss the opportunity to impress the person that you were hoping to gain the approval of even worse than that how many times have you done all of those things to gain someone's approval to gain a spot of recognition to gain a promotion only to have the rules changed just as you were about to arrive that's the thing about impressing man is that they can change the rules whenever they want right you can you can they can set before you if you dress this way if you act this way if you talk this way then you'll be cool you'll be accepted so you do all of those things and then they change the rules right i mean this is something that people reference all the time but the the cell phones have become like a status symbol in our society right in the last you know 15 years these have just become a new popular technology and if you don't have the nicest newest cell phone like what are you doing with that old hunk of junk right and so you buy the nicest newest biggest phone and then three months later they're coming out with the new one and, and you're outdated right they change the rules on you here's the thing god doesn't change the rules his only rule is that you would abide in Christ. If you do that, he is impressed. That's all he cares about. If you spend any time striving to impress man instead of abiding in God, abiding in Christ, you're wasting your time and God's not impressed. The second way that we find ourselves striving when we aren't abiding is that whenever we are striving we abide or when we aren't abiding in christ we strive to please ourselves we strive to provide for ourselves there's a lot of things in life that lead us to the feeling that we have to provide for ourselves we have to create our own provision Maybe, maybe growing up you were a part of a family that maybe all of your needs weren't met and that created a deficiency in your life where you now feel that you are the only one that you can depend on to provide for yourself, that, to provide for your family. It's a common mentality, common thing that, that people attest to. I want to tell you that God would love to begin to change the narrative that you are the only one that can provide for you and your family. He doesn't intend for you to have that mindset. He wants to be a part of the equation. He wants to be the solution for you. If we aren't abiding in Christ, then we will feel like we are the only ones that we can depend on. And what happens whenever you have the facts in front of you that say that you don't have enough to make it? Then what? If you are the only one that you are depending on, then you're out of luck. God wants to be a part of that equation so that he can provide for us. Have you ever heard the phrase, and I know you have, that God only helps those who help themselves? I've heard people say that time and time again for my entire life. And I understand maybe the intention where it's coming from, that, that people want to see others put forth some effort, right? But that's a dangerous mentality. 
Because it says that we have something to offer God. When in fact, when you read the scriptures, the Bible says that, that he is the one that provides for us. And apart from him, there's no good thing. It's a dangerous narrative whenever we say those types of things because we are, we're skewing the image of God to expect a certain amount of, of participation or else. Or else. And I believe there's a, a small piece of truth to that, that God expects us to do what he asks. But that specific statement alludes to the fact that we have to act first. When in fact, when you read the scriptures, God has already done the work. We just have to accept it and obey. So that is a mindset of striving. What does God say about striving to please or provide for ourselves? Let's read Luke chapter 12, verse 27 to 32. It says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither labor nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like one of these. Now, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for all of these things are what nations of the world eagerly seek. And your father knows that you need these things, but seek his kingdom, and all of these things will be provided for you. Do not be afraid, little flock, because your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Consider the lilies. Have you ever driven past like a wildflower field or just a, a, a scenery in the spring that was beautiful? God just provides everything that the flowers of the field need. He provides everything that all the sparrows and all the animals need. And they don't worry about this stuff. They just, they just wait for God to provide. And the Bible is clear that we are much more important than those things. We are much more important than those things. So why would God forget about us? Why do you think that he wouldn't provide a way for you and your family to have the needs that they, that they are looking for, that they need to survive? The Bible says that, that he considers the desi desires of our hearts and he knows what they are. So trust him. Abide in him. Who do you think can provide better for you, you or God? It's obvious. God is the obvious choice, right? When you read the scriptures, when you see the way he operates, when you, when you stand back from the stories of the Bible and you're able to observe the miraculous ways that he provided for his people. I mean, in the book of Exodus, they literally wandered in the desert, several hundred thousand people for 40 years, and God provided food and water for them every single day in the desert. And yet here we are, in the, the land of opportunity where a miracle can come from literally anywhere. And we just think God's not going to do it. God's not going to provide. I got to do this on my own. I got to make a way. I got to work. We strive. Having this mindset is not abiding. One thing that we are often guilty of is that we start doing something and then we just ask God to bless it, right? We think that we're doing something good because we're praying about it, but we started the work without asking God how he wanted to provide for us. This is still a striving mindset. If you are starting something and you're like, hey, God, come on, catch up with me. Let's go, God. We do that all the time, don't we? Like, God, this is a great idea, great opportunity. I'm going to jump on it. I don't want to miss the train. Come on, catch up to me, Lord. I know this is what I know this is this is how uh this is how my provisions need to be met. This is how I need you to provide for me. So don't worry, God. I found a way. You just come bless it. We do this all the time. This is a striving mindset. And it's hard to get rid of this because we constantly see our needs in front of us. We are consumed with worry many times because we don't 
see God's hand in our life. We see the need in front of us. Striving. Many times we struggle with this because we are projecting the former failures of the people that raised us, the people that were involved in our life, the people that were supposed to provide for us. We are projecting their failures onto God. Someone in your life previously failed to provide for you in certain ways, and so now you assume that God is also going to fail you in those same ways. God wants to break that off of you. That fear, that unforgiveness, that worry, that doubt. He is the perfect provider. And I honestly believe that the only time that he doesn't meet our needs is whenever we're trying to provide for ourselves and we fall short. I just, when I was writing this message, I just felt impressed to just take a moment right here and stop and pray for that specifically. That you would be able to separate your view of God from the people in your life previously that failed you. So that you can begin today to trust Him to provide for your needs instead of projecting the failures of your former providers onto your Heavenly Father. So I'm just going to take a second right now. I'm going to pray. If that applies to you, then, then just receive this. You can bow your heads with me. God, I thank You that You are a perfect Father. The Bible says that if, if we as good fathers here on earth know how to provide for our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father provide for us? And so today for each and every person in here, man or woman, young or old, God, in the places that they have been failed previously in their life, and now because of that, they feel that they can only trust and provide for themselves, and they are struggling to trust you, God, I pray that they would let that go, that they would let the worry go, that they would take the weight off of their shoulders and that they would put it on yours where it belongs. And that you would heal that place in their life and that they would be able to let go. And that even when times of trouble come, because you promised that they would, that instead of turning back to their old ways of trusting in themselves, that they would turn to you and just take their hands off of it, God. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The last way, last way that we often find ourselves striving when we're not abiding as Christ is that we strive to please God. When we aren't abiding in Christ, we will strive to please God. Now that's kind of a confusing dichotomy, right? Kind of a confusing point that seems to wrestle with itself. Because if I'm trying to please God, shouldn't that be a good thing? Yeah, it should, except for the fact that when you are striving, you're doing it in your own strength. And we already talked about the fact that anything that we do in our own strength is not impressive to God. Let me ask you a couple of serious questions. Do you think that God is surprised or caught off guard by your sin and your shortcomings? You think that it surprises him and he's like, oh, I can't believe. Right? He doesn't scoff at our sin. Do you think that God would be more impressed with you if you read your Bible every day? You think that God would be impressed by that? Do you think that if you said less cuss words, that God would answer more of your prayers. You believe these things? We tell ourselves these things all the time, don't we? And it's not until you get confronted with the fact that this is a mindset that needs to change that you realize that, man, God wants to operate a completely different way. Now, I want to be honest with you. All of those things that I just mentioned, God is interested in helping you to, to get better He's interested in helping you overcome those things. He's interested in helping you improve your life. But he's not impressed by you doing it in your own strength. 
And that's the same mindset that you've heard people say, well, I've, I've got to clean myself up before I go to church. I just, I, I, need to, I need to get a little bit better before I can walk into those doors. What does that even mean? Are you, are you trying to, to get a little bit closer to the, the place of salvation? Because the Bible is clear that our salvation is not based on our works. Our salvation is not based on our ability to be good. Our salvation is not based on our ability to stop sinning. If it was, we wouldn't need Jesus Christ, right? But yet we tell ourselves, God would like me more if I did less of these things. God would be impressed with me if I stopped doing these things. God cares about your heart. And yeah, sometimes we make mistakes and we mess up and we do things that we shouldn't do. And that's why God sent Jesus Christ. That's a perfect example of why we took communion today. Is because we are recognizing the fact that aside from the Son of God, there's no salvation for me. But when we're not abiding in Christ and striving, we think that we have to do those things on our own apart from the grace of God and then God will accept us more. Alternatively, we think that when we do those things, God accepts us less, and that he's angry with us, that he's upset with us. Again, the Bible is clear that all of the anger, all of the frustration, all of the punishment that God had for us in regards to our sin, he poured it all out on Jesus. That is the reason that Jesus came, is to take on his shoulders all of the punishment, the anger, the the frustration that God would have felt towards us for our sin, but he poured it on Jesus and said. Some of those emotions, probably not even emotions that God would experience towards us. So stop projecting those things onto him. He saved you by his grace, not by your works. Your behavior is not even considered when God gives his approval to you. He's looking at the sacrifice of his son. God only gives his approval based on our faith and the fact that Jesus is his son. And we can only have salvation through admitting that we will never measure up on our own. But through Jesus, we're accepted anyway. So there's no way that you can strive to please God. Because striving is dependent upon your works, your goodness, your ability to to impress. And none of that matters. God wants you to abide in his son. And here's a a mindset that I often see also displayed in churches is that that's the rule whenever you become saved, but somehow maybe two or five or ten years down the road that the rules change. And now because I've been saved for a certain amount of time that God does start judging me based off of my works. I want to be clear to you that it doesn't matter if you got saved yesterday or if you've been saved for 10 years. God is still not impressed by what you're capable of accomplishing on your own. And so we wrestle with that and oftentimes we we say this phrase to ourselves. I should not be struggling with this after this long. Right? You ever told yourself that before? That somehow, because I've been saved a certain amount of time, that I no longer need the grace of God in this area of my life. Without realizing it, you are putting yourself in a position to believe that works-based religion is the way to get to God. Even after 10 years, 15 years of being saved, you still need God's grace just the same. And there is no striving to impress Him or gain his approval even after that long. Pastor J.J. already stole the scripture this morning, but I'm going to read it anyway. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. It says, We are all 
infected and impure with sin. And we, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. They are like autumn leaves. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. The best you have to offer is filthy rags. Now this is, like we get that that's easy to believe again for someone who just got saved like this week or maybe this month, right? We get that because they're still in a period of of transition, right? Where God is radically changing things in their life. But oftentimes we still, you know, we, we change that mindset and we think that, well now that I've known God for a long time, my righteousness means something. And, and God kind of helped me get jump-started 10 years ago, but, but I'm able to be righteous now. Like, I can, I can go a while without sinning. I'm, I'm, I got this. It's still filthy rags. Like, God's not impressed by you doing it on your own. Like, when I was a teenager, it was like the first time I heard about that it takes 21 days to break a habit. You ever heard that before? So like I was consumed with like, if I could just stop sinning for 21 days, I'll be good. It's filthy rags. That's, it's just take it out and throw it away with the trash. Only abiding in Christ is what matters. We can't give enough money to be saved. We can't read the Bible enough to be saved. We can't attend church enough to be saved. We can't lead enough life groups to be saved. We can't serve enough times on a Sunday to be saved. And we can't fast and pray enough to be saved. All of these things are good things. Okay? Don't stop doing these things if God is leading you to do them. Right? But that is not where your salvation comes from. That flows out of your salvation because God has already saved you and accepted you and loved you and he's pleased with you. Are we abiding in Christ? That's the only thing that matters. The only question that matters. So what does abiding look like? What does abiding in Christ look like? For starters, I want you guys, if you're questioning that, to go back and listen to every single message from this campus in the month of July, right? Abiding in Christ is not like a message that you can, I can cover all of this in like 30 or 40 minutes on a Sunday. So go back and listen. Why is my faith not working? Where do I get fed? What does it take for me to obey? How do I hear the voice of God? Four solid messages to get you started on abiding in Christ. Let's read John 15 again. It says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it shall bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither you can unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire to be burned. God wants you to produce fruit. Producing fruit will impress God. But that only comes whenever you abide in the vine and allow Jesus to prune you to produce more fruit. That pruning is the process of God transforming you in your heart. Where He empowers you to change things in your life based on His strength and His word spoken to you, not by you conjuring it up in your mind because you know that it's bad or because you are are tired of doing certain things. 
That's the tricky thing about abiding is that we can be doing good things, good things, but yet not abiding in Christ because we're doing them on our own. We're doing them based on our own strength. Abiding looks a lot like patience. The world we live in is rushed, right? Always busy, always full. They measure success based on instant gratification and efficiency and and prosperousness. God doesn't always work this way. Abiding looks a lot like slowing down sometimes so that God can speak to you. Abiding looks a lot like saying no that don't line up with God's plan. Saying no to things that don't line up with God's plan for your life. Even though they may be really good things as far as what the world considers to be good. Sometimes God will ask us to say no to things that are not a part of his plan. Abiding looks a lot like being satisfied with what you have and trusting God if you have need of anything instead of forcing a way for you to provide it on your own. Abiding looks a lot like not letting others' opinions control you or your outlook on life. Abiding also looks like being ready at a moment's notice if God pulls the trigger on something that you need to move on. Isaiah 6, 8, and 9 is the, the calling of the prophet Isaiah. has always been you know, a popular scripture and just kind of a... Um, um, one of those encouraging, uh, inspiring, that's what I'm looking for, one of those inspiring scriptures. Isaiah 6, 8, 9 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell the people. Abiding is not always just sitting down, patiently waiting. Sometimes when you abide, God says go, and you got to go. The difference is in the motive. The difference is in who is giving the direction. Are you giving the direction or is God giving the direction? Abiding looks a lot like working hard but with the right motive. There's a mindset in many places in the world that that Christian people are lazy people. God doesn't. God is not lazy. And God's people are not lazy. The Bible says do everything you do is unto Christ, right? If I'm doing it for Christ, I'm not going to do it in a lazy way, right? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one runner gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make my body my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Does that sound like a lazy Christian to you? No, no. Abiding in Christ doesn't mean that you can sit on your hands and Christ will do the work. No. Quite the opposite, actually. When you abide Christ, when you abide in Christ, you will probably work harder than you did before. But you won't mind doing it because your soul will be fulfilled and your heart will be at peace. All the Olympians that we're watching on TV right now, There's probably some of them that are doing it for the glory, right? They want to stand on the top of that three-piece podium with a gold medal around their neck, waving the flowers and hearing their country's national anthem being played over the loudspeaker, right? There's places where these Olympians, when they go back home with a gold medal, they get houses, they get recognition, they get money, they get all sorts of things. 
And many of them are doing it for that purpose. I also believe that there's Olympians that are competing in these games right now that are abiding in Christ at the same time, right? Like just competing at a public level and getting recognition doesn't disqualify you from abiding in Christ. If you're doing it for Him and He is the one that is giving you the direction to work hard, to put forth your best, to make an effort, God's not impressed by the gold medal. People might be. God is impressed by Him, by the people obeying Him and doing what He told them to do. And for some of those people competing in those games, God is directing them to, hey, wake up at four every morning and swim. Hey, go running every day for 10 miles. Something like that. I don't know. I don't know how they compete, right? Just because people give you recognition doesn't mean that you're not abiding in Christ. So keep that in mind as you consider what we talked about today. The fact that there may be times where people still have a desire to to glorify your works or what you're doing or what you're accomplishing based on you abiding in Christ. Because I do believe that when you abide in Christ, He will bless you. I believe that the Bible clearly says that people will take recognition whenever we abide in Christ. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the book of Acts is whenever the, the disciples appeared before the Sanhedrin after they had been arrested. And when they started talking, it said that the Sanhedrin could tell that these unlearned men had been with Christ because there's no way that they got that education on their own they knew who they were they were just poor fishermen right it said when they opened their mouths they were amazed so I believe that oftentimes people will still give you recognition for the things that you do while abiding in Christ but the recognition is not what we're seeking Abiding in Christ is the key. That's the only thing that matters. And whether it happens publicly, whether it happens privately, whether you never get recognized for it or impress anybody with it, it doesn't matter. If you are abiding, God is pleased. You can either abide or you can strive, but you can't do both. just one more scripture and then I'll close Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 and 29 says come to me all you who are weary and heavy burden and I will give you rest take my yoke on you upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls God wants to give you rest and again rest does not necessarily mean that you won't have to put forth effort. You'll just be following God's direction. But I promise that if you put forth effort while following God's direction, that your soul will be at rest and your heart will be at peace and you will be satisfied and fulfilled. That's the difference between abiding and striving. There is no peace and rest when you are striving to please man because it's a rat race that does not end. But when you abide in Christ, you get rest maybe today it's not your body that needs rest but your soul anybody ever like after a week you're just tired and you haven't even physically done that much but you're just like and I'm just I'm done I'm worn out your soul needs the rest And again, that does not mean sitting on your hands necessarily. Your soul needs rest by abiding in Christ. Sometimes that may mean sitting down for for a little while and just praying and letting the Lord speak to you. That may mean actually taking a Sabbath and resting and not working and not, you know, accomplishing things. Sometimes that's what our soul needs. But the key is abiding in Christ. So today, I just want to invite you to to pray with me that we would stop 
striving to please man, to provide for ourselves, and even stop striving to impress God. It's a waste of time. Let's learn to abide. Let's learn to let Him direct us, to sit back and be patient and wait for Him to speak, to give us direction. And when He answers, that we'll respond. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You know all things, You see all things, that You know what we need, God. And abiding in Christ will make us peculiar to this world because we won't care about the things that they care about. We won't be bothered by the things that they're bothered by. We won't be impressed by the things that they're impressed by. Just like Pastor JJ spoke about last week, that when we begin to abide in Christ, we begin to care about the things that our Heavenly Father cares about. We begin to become concerned about the things that our Heavenly Father is concerned about. We become impressed by the things that our Father is impressed by. God, help us to abide. Help us to trust. Help us to obey. Help us to respond to your word. God, your written word. And the word spoken by your Holy Spirit. Real quick, with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to take a moment to pray for anyone in here that just need a revitalization in this area. Specifically, if you are tired and your soul needs rest, if you just raise your hand right now, I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Hands going up all over. Thank you. You can put them down. Secondly, if there's anyone here that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you hear what I'm speaking about today, you understand where I'm coming from, but you don't feel like you can abide because you don't have a relationship with Him. You've not allowed Him to be your Lord, your Savior. You've not received His grace and His forgiveness. If that's you, you want to begin a relationship with Him. I'm not talking about you already have a relationship and you've messed up a couple of times or you feel like you've gotten far away from Him because you haven't tried to hear His voice. But if you have not had a relationship and you want to start one this morning, I want you to raise your hand. God, I, I pray for each and every person, first of all, that raised their hand because their soul needs rest. God, I have no doubt that it's going to be a struggle to let go of striving because it's oftentimes the only way that we know how to survive. It's the only rule that the world has given us to judge ourselves by. God, and we've sometimes gotten so entrenched in the system of comparison, of striving, of accomplishing, of progress. We've become so entrenched, God, in that structure of our society that we don't know any other way. But God, today, I, I pray that for those individuals, God, that raise their hand because their soul needs rest, God, I pray that you would continue, begin and continue to break down those structures of comparison. Break down those mindsets of dependency, of judgment, of comparison. And Holy Spirit, today, I pray that even in this moment, God, that their soul would begin to find rest in you. And as they move forward and make decisions every day, God, I pray that they would abide in you, that they would be patient. And that instead of just making whatever decision that they think is right or making the decision that the world tells them is right, God, that they would stop and consider your voice and allow you to speak and that they would obey you. They would allow your voice to become louder than the voice of the world, that they would listen. 
God, and I pray that all the teachings that they have heard and received throughout the month of July specifically, God, that they would apply them to their life because it's not just what we heard today that we can use to abide, God, but every piece of the equation matters. So help us, God, as a people to abide. Let us be, let us be marked in our communities and our societies by the way that we abide in you. God, I pray for those today that raise their hand for salvation, God. God, I pray that their confession would not be that, that they are good, that their confession would not be that they changed their life, that they got it done. God, I pray that their confession would be that Jesus Christ took away my guilt, my shame, and he gave me righteousness instead based on his life, not on mine. And my heavenly father accepts me today because Jesus Christ died in my place, took on my sin and my shame and my punishment. Let that be our confession, God. And let us begin abiding. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.